everybody. Welcome back. Welcome, 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 welcome. Another light and juicy slash not light, but pretty <laughs> juicy episode. Just a really, just a really relaxing episode where we're just going to meditate and not really say anything of substance. Meditate on systemic racism. Yeah. We wanted to have an episode dedicated to the history of Black History Month itself, but also... Um, I, I said this earlier, like the atrocities of the black experience in this country. Yeah. Because, and yeah. I also how like Black History Month, um, I think for a lot of white people in America, it's this like super watered down, maybe throw up a Martin Luther King quote on your Instagram <laughs> or like one of his quotes about peace, of course, none of his more intense aggressive quotes which are there but but we need the palatable version of mlk that you know or like or maybe it's just a little the, post dedicated to rosa parks or like a little it's just like or just the black square like the black square the black of it all with, with nothing with saying nothing or and just that's like your a, one identity of yeah like a ran, and the racism. way i don't know it's just i think we're all just so fatigued with with performative allyship but also i mean we saying like obviously black people are fatigued as fuck because they've had to deal with everything but also just like i myself am just i agree with the sentiment of like well black history month is every month but i'm just so tired of everybody's posting the same shit and being like we should celebrate this every yeah we know we know but but just posting that we should celebrate it every month doesn't count as your contribution to society when it comes to dismantling systemic racism (laughs) like what are people actually going to do and that includes myself like holding myself accountable like my friends family um and it's a constant evolving question and answer but i think one of the things like Alyssa, you and i think is important is to dive into the parts that you don't hear about in obviously not in school but even in society like yeah Oh, there's a Black History Month sale at your favorite store, like black, but no one goes oh into stuff, and there's so yeah. many stories that aren't told. Yeah, and I think it's it's just, and you said this too, unlearning this is such a privilege for non uh, black people or, or non people of color itself, like or or and people of color, people that are are light skinned and 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 have privilege in that front. Like, you have to unlearn this shit because we all have biases. We all have ignorance and ignorance on any level with this is in itself racism and that's okay as long as you recognize it that way and we can all fucking learn together there's no fucking shame in it if you're willing to admit uh the shit that you don't know and then learning from it and this is this episode is that opportunity to learn and unlearn yeah and no for ourselves like you know we constantly like there's so many things that we don't know and then there's unfortunately a lot of people in this country that think racism equals slavery and nothing else and since slavery is quote unquote done even though it's actually not um you know then racism ended when slavery ended and that's all been a long time like they don't realize that racism encapsulates so many aspects of society and behavior and the way we're conditioned and it's still and even if you're like, you know, we've heard the argument of like, well, now it's great. Now I have black coworkers, black people get my jobs, black people, they're great. They're going to school. Everything's great. And as we will divulge, like, and in really in-depth research, like, they, no, we yeah. still live in a world today where everything is completely unfair, completely skewed, 
generational like it, it it goes so deep and it's not like you just fixed it one day or like oh jim crow laws are dead we're all better now it's mm-hmm. just this mm-hmm. yeah it's the so myth- nuanced how racism has evolved into what it is today because it's so thinly veiled but also obvious when you're yes. in the middle of your own process of dealing and, and learning from it it's just like it's mm-hmm. it's wild and it it's it lives everywhere in your own yeah. family your workplace yep uh media that you um watch your so. own perspective of life your own mm-hmm. memories like mm-hmm. i'm white i remember growing up and not really thinking about my skin color until i got older and was aware of these things like yeah. i d- you know absolutely just like everything yeah and so I first want to shout out one of my favorite Instagram accounts. Um, it is black underscore our story instead of history, but it's it's an account that literally it's stories. I think their tagline is like stories untold or the untold stories. And every day, this this guy Marquise, who I've been in communication with over Instagram for maybe a year or something, he he runs it. He does all the research. He puts mm-hmm. up these stories. And there's photos to go along. I mean, it's an incredibly educational page. I would recommend it to everybody. Um, and I wanted to share, this is from his page um, this week. And going into the transatlantic slave trade and the the numbers, uh, the reasoning behind why that happened, the numbers of people that were involved, what the actual journey was like. Um, I'm just going to read a couple of the posts because this is really informative and it's not the kind of stuff that people like black history month like we'll just celebrate the civil rights movement but actually this is the reality of what happened so between 1525 and 1860 12 and a half million africans were shipped from africa to the quote new world which obviously was only new to the europeans it was far from new to the natives who lived there out of the 12 and a half million africans an estimated 1.8 million died 10.7 million would survive the Middle Passage, which was the journey to America, um, thanks to the boom of Spanish colonies and the rapid growth of the English. Their lives changed forever as strangers bound to a life of servitude in North America, the Caribbeans, and South America. And out of the surviving 10.5 million Africans, at least 4 million went to Portuguese Brazil. Millions of others made their way through Latin America. But for the brand new colonies in the United States, only, as in quotes, only about 388,000 Africans would face an institution of slavery like nowhere else, chattel slavery. And that's in the United States. So there were 12 and a half million of them came over. They were distributed all throughout North and South America. And then, yeah, 388,000 faced what our country put them through. So 21 to 90 unfathomable days later, the ships, once they took off from the coast of Africa, 21 to 90 days later, the ships completed their journey across the Atlantic, docked on American shores. The first Africans were brought in 1526 and then 1619. As more and more ships arrived, um, they were forced to come aboard. Oh, as more and more ships arrived, were forced to come aboard the ship to calm the fears of those newly arrived. Okay. So got, so Africans who had already arrived were forced mm-hmm. to go on board the new ships and try to calm the other people down um, with the cruel pacification. Um, they were confused, scared, beaten, tired, barely alive. The Africans would plea their case to this 
black face that looked like theirs, while the welcoming party would explain in an unfamiliar tongue that many were waiting for them and they were only here to work. And it was like this evil genius that mm-hmm. worked on all levels. It said, um, similar to their march to the west coast of Africa, they would again find themselves marching in chain step to the town centers and show houses. The sick were separated from the healthy, who were first placed on auction blocks with a price tag on their body. Reports of competitive buyers fighting over Africans were normal. Some buyers roped multiple bodies to stake their claim. Um, Adult males going for high prices as workers and breeders. This was business as usual. Um, After the auctions, the African was delivered to the new owner and then immediately put out to learn and work. Um... Uh, For the African, this was the period known as, quote, seasoning, which lasted about a year, which he or she either died from foreign world diseases or survived it. And that was, so that was one of the posts. The other one I want to share is, so 1510 to 1518, at first slaves had to be transported from West Africa to Spain and then to the Americas. But in August of 1518, One year after Columbus began murdering the Arawak Indians, the king of Spain issued a charter that authorized the transportation of slaves from Africa straight to the Americas without having to go through Spain. The trip across the Atlantic Ocean, a.k.a. the Middle Passage, was brutal, overcrowded, unsanitary, and deadly. Hundreds of Africans were packed tightly below decks for a voyage of about 5,000 miles that's driving from L.A. to New York and back to L.A. Um, Above deck, they were fed twice a day, two handfuls of boiled rice, stewed yams, cornmeal, or millet. Sometimes starvation led to death, but if they didn't eat, captains would burn their lips with hot coal or pour melted lead on them. Other times, captains would use the Spectrum Oris, and there's a picture of this device, which I'll put on our Instagram. It's a medical device. It looks like a pliers that, like, it looks like what they use for a pap smear, honestly, like... Mm -hmm. So um, a spectrum orus, between meals, they were forced to exercise. So they'd use that thing to open their throats and force them to eat. Mm -hmm. Um, Between meals, they were forced to exercise, quote, sing and dance, which meant forced jumping up and down on board the ship. If the kidnappers felt like they weren't happy enough, they used this thing called the cat of nine tails, which is like a whip with nine ropes on it. It would every every lashing would give nine injuries, nine separate lashings to cheer them up, to make them happier. Um, Below deck, with no other choice but to lay on their sides, their bodies were stacked on top and next to each other, chained together, with ceilings so low they couldn't even sit upright if they tried. Seasickness was the very least of their problems. The heat and the smell of urine and feces and vomit was intolerable. The oxygen levels were so low that candles would not even burn. Women and young girls were kept in separate locations, and rape and sexual abuse were a common occurrence. Fevers and the highly contagious dysentery known as the the bloody flux led to high death rates for both enslaved and sailors, but dehydration would remain the main cause of death. Um, Historians estimate that 13% of the Africans headed to the Americas died aboard slave ships. There were so many dead and dying bodies thrown overboard that sharks actually followed the ships. If the slaves were, quote, lucky to make it across... They were so weakened, brutalized, and demoralized, the mere idea or thought of trying to resist any further was tiring in itself and most likely improbable because at the end of the Middle Passage was the site of American shores. That meant the beginning of a life no longer your own. And, like, yeah, we're coming in hot with this episode, but, like, those are the things 
if we're gonna allow our ch- if we allow our children to watch all these action films, watch people get shot, play video games where you're brutalizing people, and and we think kids can handle that, mm-hmm. but we don't think they can be in a school professional setting and learn the reality of what we've done to our fellow humans. Okay. Right. Okay. Are, are we are we to gonna say. are we raising adults here that can right. actually learn from history so we can no longer have it repeated over and over again and then and then lie and say that oh that wasn't racism that's not racism doesn't exist you, yeah. you know what I mean if we don't learn then it's gonna happen over and over again and we're just gonna keep being the things fucking that prejudice kids are ignorant. incredibly aware capable um intelligent like i just mm-hmm. and the things that we make excuses for that they should be able to handle this the abuse mm-hmm. that kids mm-hmm. handle the family drama that kids handle shouldn't have to handle by the way and yes it will mess people up but i mean we put we put kids through a lot of shit and somehow can't stomach the idea that in a formal classroom setting they can't handle learning the facts mm-hmm. so yeah i just got to put that out there uh <laughs> it's because america isn't a country it's a business it is a business Exactly. Got that from a Brad Pitt movie, for fuck's sake. <laughs> Why am I learning that from a, pre- a, ba- a, 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 a bad Pitt a movie? Bad same Pitt thing. Movie. Yeah, same thing. Oh, God. Anyway. <sighs> but um, we, okay. um, yeah, we, we want, also want to, like, kind of uh, share this, because I didn't know myself exactly how Black History Month came to be. Um, mm-hmm. But... If you want to read that too, Molly, about basically how yeah how we got to Black History Month and why February and all that stuff. Yeah, so Carter G. Woodson set the foundation for what would become today's National Black History Month, um, observed each February. In the early 20th century, while he earned a master's degree from the University of Chicago and a Ph.D. from Harvard, both in history, Woodson witnessed how black people were underrepresented in the books and conversations that shaped the study of American history. According to the way many historians taught the nation's past, historians being white men, obviously, mm-hmm. African-Americans were barely part of the story, a narrative that Woodson knew was not true. So in 1915, he and Jesse E. Moreland founded the Association for the Study of Negro Life and History. Now the Association for the Study of American Life and History, African-American Life and History, um, The organization would promote studying black history as a discipline and celebrate the accomplishments of African-Americans. In 1926, Woodson and that organization, the ASALH, launched a Negro History Week to bring attention to his mission and help school systems coordinate their focus on the topic. Woodson chose the second week in February because it encompassed both Frederick Douglass's birthday on February 14th and Abraham Lincoln's birthday on February 12th. During the civil rights movement, freedom schools in the South embraced the week and its curriculum message as a way to contribute to the mission. By the mid-1960s, the most popular textbook for eighth-grade U.S. history classes mentioned only two black people (laughs) in the entire century of history that had transpired since the Civil War. Can you? This is in the 1960s, okay? This is not way back in the day. Those are probably, you know how old our history books when we got to eighth grade? Like, we likely could have had the same books. Oh, hell my yeah. My parents, my, my, what? My mom was born in 1960. It's our like, this is siblings, not that yeah. long ago. Oh, yeah. They mentioned two black people <laughs> in the entire century that followed the civil rights. The okay. most pop, this is the most pop, it's not even just in the South. This is the most popular textbook oh, in the entire country of eighth grade. United States. U.S. history classes. Uh-huh. What the fuck? Yes. Oh, my God. Okay, okay. so 
Um, let's see. So obviously he noticed that and this he was like, this can't be ignored. Um, it was in that decade that colleges and universities across the country transformed the week into a Black History Month on campus. And then, yeah, so that turned into a nationwide, uh, what's the word, uh, acknowledgement of the month itself, which I find mm-hmm. amazing because, you know, <laughs> colleges are supposed to be safe spaces. I feel like... Uh, Right. It's like any conservative conservative that has anything fucking stupid and ignorant to say about, you know, why isn't there a white history month? And, and like, why do we have to? It's like, fuck you. Have you ever read a history book? It's all it's not only is it all white history, but it's like lies. It's lies and white history. Everything is everything is set up. Everything is written by white men. Yep. And, you know, and. White, everybody who's white, women, myself included, white women, we all benefit from it. The story yeah. of our life has been told to us in our own image over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. And that's not even the way that it is. It's not even, it's so messed up. I'm going to be the, I'm going to be the parent in the back of my child's classroom, like sitting in the back, like making sure they're being told the right shit in history class. <laughs> like, uh, actually. <laughs> oh my God. I can't even imagine what's going to be like when we have kids that are in school and learning God. about this stuff. We're like, did you learn about this person? Cause I didn't. Right. I want to make sure you did. Exactly. Exactly. <sighs> I'm already, I'm already mad. I'm already fired um, up. So as we continue with this episode, we want to basically highlight everything that's wrong and the history of why it's wrong. Um, and what we're still doing to people of color and specifically black people in this country. Um, and I, I found this amazing article by Amelia Costigan and Keisha Garnett, Amelia Troiano. It's called The Impact of Structural Racism on Black Americans. You can find it on catalyst.org. We're going to link this episode in our episode notes. I mean, um, this link in our episode notes mm-hmm. and um, everything else, too, that helped us come with all this research. But they did such a good work on this and i have to highlight uh their fucking um they can correct so we're going to come correct and um, <laughs> i'm going to share with you everything so first we're going to talk about um the workplace and how <laughs> we failed black americans yes. so since the 13th amendment to the u.s constitution uh, abolished slavery slavery in 1865 laws and policies have been implemented that overwhelming overwhelmingly favor and protect jobs for white people often by discriminating against and denying opportunities to black people after emancipation black codes and jim crow laws continued to restrict freedoms and opportunities for black people these regulations limited black people's occupations to farming and domestic servitude and forced them into into uh onerous annual uh, employment contracts. Never heard that word before. The yeah. occupational segregation that laws enforced exacerbated racial inequality and devalued agricultural, domestic, and service occupations. <laughs> Punishments for breaking these laws included being forced back into unpaid labor on white plantations. Black codes morphed into Jim Crow laws that lasted from the 1890s until the 60s. Today, women of color represent almost half of the low wage workforce. Black Americans saw no reduction in hiring disc- discrimination over 25 years. No uh, reduction, people. Yep. Stop coming with that. And well, today, everything's mm-hmm. bullshit. Zero. A meta-analysis of field experiments conducted from 1990 to 2015 showed that on average, white applicants received 36 more callbacks, 36% more callbacks than black Americans with identical resumes and that hiring rates had not changed over time. 
uh, black workers make up 13% of the workforce, but file 26% of racial discrimination claims. Wow. Like, these are not opinions. These are facts. Yeah, this is all... Yeah, you can source us. Come for us. These are fucking yeah. facts. <laughs> Come for us. I'm ready. Um, yeah, but if you want to go into the housing yeah. aspect, because this was... This is... Redlining is really important to understand because... Oh my God. Um, it has a lot to do with the false equivalencies of, of black on black crime and and and, and yes. everything that basically a lot of conservatives like to bring up that shit and run lighting and and no one wants to talk about redlining but we're going to talk and about generational it. wealth and, exactly it's like, how do you how do you acquire assets that build wealth like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. oh anybody can do it bootstraps am I right yeah. So throughout the 20th century, federal housing policy and practices excluded black families from opportunities to build home equity and accumulate wealth, creating generational repercussions. In contrast, federal intervention and investment have helped expand homeownership and affordable housing for countless white families. Redlining prevented access to mortgages and homeownership. Um, Through its homeowners loan corporation, the federal government redlined black neighborhoods using red ink on maps to indicate the neighborhoods to lenders. In doing so, the HOLC denied black families access to mortgages and capital investment based strictly on where they lived. Mm -hmm. Literally, the people giving out loans looked at this map and they were like, this house is in that red line. I can't give them a loan. Mm -hmm. Um, Between 1934 and 1962, of the $120 billion in loans made by the Federal Housing Administration, only 2% were distributed to non-white families. And this is non-white families. You know, they're, black people are at the bottom of the non-white families. Mm-hmm. That they were, that's not even all black 2%, families. 2%, yeah. <laughs> um, so, oh my God. And that's between 1934 and 1962. Again, not that long ago. Nope. There's also a thing I learned um, from my friend's sister is studying sociology, and she just told us this there's a name for it which i don't know but the the idea the concept that a lot of pictures in our history books in our um public school curriculum Mm -hmm. or just country's curriculum are intentionally made in black and white even if color photography existed back then because they want it to appear longer ago than it was and so there will be photos of you know when they're talking about the civil rights movement Oh, Jim Crow laws and what? this and this and this. And um, and you look at photos of it and they put it in black and white. There's a, whole, a bunch of sociology studies about like how this is. It's all to bend your mind. But in reality, you're like, this was my parents were growing up right now. One generation. I'm one less than one generation removed from that. And and then in other areas of the textbook, f- photos from the same year will be in color because it's not something that it would be like pretty history or something. Yes, yeah. exactly. <laughs> exactly. Wow. Um, anyway, a little tangent, but uh, so three out of four neighborhoods redlined, three out of four neighborhoods redlined 80 years ago are still economically struggling today yep. in 2021. Yeah. Yep. So uh, <laughs> three mm-hmm. out of four, guys. Mm-hmm. Black Americans still feel the effects of this practice with only around 41% owning a home between 2016 and 2019 compared to 71% of white Americans. Discrimination in housing against black Americans was legally sanctioned until the 1968 passage of the Fair Housing Act. However, this 1968 act lacked any enforcement provisions, (laughs) 
and it did little to deter discriminatory housing practices. So it technically did nothing. So discrimination is not legally Mm -hmm. sanctioned, but also legally sanctioned. So um, although the Fair Housing Act was amended and strengthened in 1988, year before I was born, Mm. brand new, the National Fair Housing Alliance estimates and this is an estimation, I'm sure it's too low, that there are still 4 million incidents of housing discrimination each year. <sighs> Fucking yeah. disgusting. On to education. Um, we're going to learn about education today and how we failed them on that front. So the federal, state, and local housing... Failed ourselves as well. Yep. Literally everybody. Yep, yep, yep. The federal, state, and local housing policies and practices that created segregated neighborhoods also created segregated schools and the educational disparities we see today. Of course, a long history of laws and policies intentionally limited the education of black people. Shocker. The 1847 Virginia Criminal Code prohibited educating enslaved and free black people. In the decades after the Civil War, black students were prohibited from attending Southern colleges due to legal segregation, and they had limited access to Northern schools because of quota systems. In its 1954 Brown v. Brown, or Brown v. Board of Education decision, the U.S. Supreme Court outlawed racial segregation in public education. However, U.S. public schools are still largely separate and unequal. 28% of black students attend a high poverty school in which 90% of the students are students of color. And that's because of redlining and the neighborhoods they live in. It's all tied. Yep. Because public school funding often relies heavily on local property taxes, schools in more affluent white communities bolstered by decades of housing policies that favored them often have better paid teachers, better facilities, and more opportunities for students. Again, fucking shocker because they've general generationally been able to build wealth over literally privilege generation and it just keeps piling up yeah and uh in 2016 mostly white school districts received 23 billion dollars more than mostly non-white school districts despite serving about the same number of children riddle me that one molly what the wow. fuck wow <laughs> but if anybody like the way that the fact mm -hmm. that anybody can come at these facts and say but anything like you know what they would say but with they would be like oh but you know what the scholarships they favor the black students literally understand why understand why they have so many cards stacked against them to get to the place where your fucking bratty ass child gets to go you know, on and, their and C average. <laughs> when they get the scholarship that you wanted, they're still mm-hmm. at a disadvantage. So don't worry about it. It doesn't mean they're going to get the jobs up. You're after. still ahead. Yep. God. Yeah. Yep. Anyway. Um, sorry, I'm like. No, it's fine. <laughs> We're going to be learning about voter suppression now. Yeah. So Voter suppression. This is so- which fucking Stacey Abrams is doing a lot of work right now. Um, We're not mentioning her in this a bit right here but please educate yourself on Stacey Abrams and get her book and and she's fighting back on this wholeheartedly yeah. um, many laws have worked to suppress black Americans right to vote despite the ratification of the 15th amendment which in 1870 specifically stated that the right to vote could not be denied on the basis of race and the passage of the voting rights act in 1965 which prohibited many discriminatory practices in states with a history of voter discrimination which is every state, but whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, 
as a result, black citizens still face numerous barriers that suppress their ability to elect people into political office with similar interests and experiences. And white people have dominated political leadership positions. Mm. Um, I, I saw some, what was I watching? It was some documentary the other last week. No, it was a movie. Anyway, um, the guy was there was a white cop that they were doing like a mock trial for like all these black people. He had killed this black man's son and the black man was like, I don't even remember what movie this was, um, but it was a good cast. Anyway, he was uh, out for revenge. So he like held the cop hostage and the whole police department and then was like, you're going on trial right now. Here's your jury. You're going on trial right now. And like, it wasn't an official trial, but the, the jury, he got people who were being held at the police station. So it was like prisoners, maybe like two white people Whoa. and all black and brown people. And the cop goes, this isn't a jury of my peers. This isn't fair. This isn't a jury of my peers. And the guy, yeah, the guy looks at him and goes, welcome to our world. Like you are going to tell me that it is supposed to be my peers. Like, and, and you're literally being, your fate is being decided by people that look at nothing like you have not lived a life, anything similar well, to yours. That's really um, good. That's powerful. Yeah, it was really powerful. I'm trying to find my spot because I don't know why I thought of that, but it was just like, mm -hmm. yeah, it's just so messed up. Um, so, oh, because, you know, suppress black citizens still face numerous barriers that suppress their ability to elect people that that share similar interests. That's why. And mm -hmm. like experiences in the world. They can't even get people that represent them into office. Exactly. Um, so policies and laws continue to suppress black voters. Mm -hmm. Recently, voter identification laws reduced registration opportunities and polling places, reduced early voting, voter roll purging, and a U.S. Supreme Court ruling are fueling a resurgence of voter suppression. Yep. Disenfranchisement laws prevent one in 13 black Americans from voting. Mm -hmm. That's so many. So many. That's so and many. That's, so, I bet that's, I, I bet it's even worse than that. To yeah, be for honest, sure. They never, mm -hmm. <laughs> can't trust anyone. Yeah. Mandated voting ID laws hurt black people. 25% of black Americans compared to 8% of white Americans do not have a current government issued photo ID. Yeah, I fucking hate that shit. This whole we need an ID to vote. Yep. Not, they're not they're only doing this to hurt black people yeah. and, and 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 brown people. It's fucking mm -hmm. disgusting. Yes. It's disgusting. In 2011 alone, more than 30 states introduced new voter suppression legislation and 16 of them passed. More than half, ladies and gentlemen. More than half. <laughs> In 2013, the U.S. Supreme Court struck down part of the Voting Rights Act, opening the door for states with a history of voter suppression to manipulate voting procedures. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot. So that we're like going backwards, guys. Yep. And there's a lot that happened in this past election. Um, again, we're reading a lot of um, facts from this really well done article that I, I mentioned before. And I'll mention it again when we're done, um, which I think was written before the last election. So. I there, there's so much more that went down and of course that the the loudest uh assholes when it came to this that you know oh, no there's there was shady shit going on with voting and it, it was it was stolen da, 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 da. like of course there's there of course there were voter irregulars of course there was shady shit going but not for fucking you <laughs> like yeah, right, it's right. because there's so many states in the south that have rampant voter suppression i mean in in, in most states but especially in the south mm -hmm. especially georgia and stacy did so much grassroots organization to combat that and she proved that like georgia oh, and a lot of states in the south i believe but like 
Georgia's not a, a red state. No. It's it's suppressed. Yeah. There are no such thing as red states. There's just suppressed states. Yeah. So um mm-hmm. get fucked. That's true. Yeah. Uh so um let's talk about healthcare. Yeah, wow. What's that? Seriously. For all of U.S. history, Black Americans have received unequal access to quality health care, resulting in health-related risks and stressors that go beyond individual behaviors or genetic issues. These social determinants of health create adverse health outcomes among Black Americans, which are worse than those of any other racial or ethnic group. Between 2010 and 2018, Black Americans were 1.5 times more likely to be uninsured than white Americans, even with the passing of the Affordable Care Act and the increased coverage gains made by many groups of color. We're still at 1.5 times more likely to be uninsured. Great. Healthcare providers in black and Hispanic neighborhoods typically offer lower quality care. No shit. Of course. People of color receive lower quality health care than their white counterparts, even after accounting for insurance status, income, age and severity of conditions the amount of black so women who die giving birth oh we're going to talk about in that in 2021 yeah. yeah oh we're talking about that um um oh yeah chronic exposure to racism and unfair treatment is linked to higher more morbidity and mortality rates um which i mean it's like common sense when you think about it but you don't really think about how much like generational trauma alone let alone your own personal experiences growing up um in this society and what that does to you it's fucking it's horrifying discrimination Mm -hmm. discrimination is one of the social determinants of health putting people of color at higher risk for covid19 as well as other illnesses including type 2 diabetes stroke cancer and kidney disease Mm -hmm. the life expectancy for black americans is six years less than it is for white americans six years six years black americans are more exposed to pollution and unhealthy environments than other americans um we've talked about that on episodes before food desert yep black people are 75 percent more likely than other americans to live close to facilities that produce hazardous waste Partially due to lack of investment in green spaces and trees, historically redlined neighborhoods are five degrees hotter on average than non-redlined neighborhoods. And the differential has at times reached 20 degrees hotter than the non-redlined neighborhoods. And you go into like Beverly Hills and Bel Air and it's the most lush green. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, Southern Mm -hmm. California is an actual desert. Mm -hmm. So that's all by design. Yeah. It's fucking gross. Research has found that the maternal stress brought on by cumulative experiences of racism and sexism is a factor in low birth weight, a leading cause of infant mortality. Black mothers die at three to four times the rate of non-Hispanic white mothers. The United States has a high maternal mortality rate compared to other affluent countries, and the disproportionate number of black mothers dying is one of the drivers. Yeah, this country's number one, all right. Um, a study, right. oh, this is interesting. A study, oh yeah, a study in, in New York found that college-educated black mothers were more likely to suffer severe complications from either pregnancy or childbirth than white women without a high school education. Wow. So you can so you can have like a socioeconomic, like I guess, privilege yep. as a black wom- a woman and be college-educated, but still 
more likely to suffer severe complications than an uneducated white person. I mean, there's TV shows glorifying teen mothers that are predominantly white yeah. and uneducated. Yeah. That what what? But I guess I would feel like that that what that speaks to the generational trauma right, this, and like yeah. the stressors and the chronic uh You can have that much of a socioeconomic I thought you were going to say so college educated black mothers compared to not compared right. to white mothers who are not college educated but white mothers who don't have a high school you say, high, high school, school education education yeah yeah oh my god i just i just don't understand the actual mental capacity if anybody listens to this episode mm-hmm. and doesn't understand what's happening um i think you need to get a cat scan yeah sincerely yep. like i want to see the scan of your brain <laughs> yeah it's time <laughs> to take the earmuffs off yeah um, and get so uncomfortable. Wealth, oh, the wealth gap. Ooh. Um, in 2016, white families had an average net worth of 171000 almost 10 times higher. This is in 2016. Mm-hmm. 10 times higher than the $17,150 average for black families. Because many white families balk at buying homes in predominantly black neighborhoods. <laughs> home, value, a, home value appreciation, a major source of wealth, is inhibited for black families yep. just because the house near them is devalued because it's in a black neighborhood. How fucking unevolved and disgusting are we as a species? Honestly, mm-hmm. the devaluation of black people's work has long-term effects. Black women make 62 cents for every dollar that non-Hispanic white men make based on full-time year round work. Predatory lenders and for-profit schools also contribute to the wealth gap. Banks and other lenders have targeted black families with expensive and unfair subprime loans that often result in foreclosure, especially during the 2008 housing crash. Without as much generational wealth, black students must take on more and often riskier debt to access higher education, making it harder for them to build wealth after graduation. Bootstraps, right? Yeah. Just do it. It's the American dream. Just fucking do it. Forget about your generational trauma and your anxieties and your debt and modern day slavery that yeah. you're that we're all just get just get your bachelor's degree that is pretty much pointless at this at this point <laughs> like, right go into debt and deal with it and if you're if a failure you then, can get and if you're a failure if you, that's on you yeah not to mention how hard it is to even get accepted i'm just ugh, it's yeah. so disgusting to me so this is our uh, a final little uh, bullet point where we're going to be talking about, and this is the criminal justice system. This is actually modern-day slavery. <sighs> yep. Throughout U.S. history, the justice system has been used to watch, control, detain, exploit, and in too many cases, kill black people. This is... This is reality. This is not hyperbole. Um, Slave patrols made up of white community members beat, terrorized, and kept enslaved Americans under surveillance at the directive of local authorities. After the Civil War, vigilante groups, including the Ku Klux Klan, continued the tactics of the slave patrols to control and terrorize black Americans. The U.S. Supreme Court decision Terry v. Ohio in 1968 permitted police to stop and frisk a citizen based on a reasonable suspicion. The person had committed a crime, a change from the standard of probable cause. From 2004 to 2012, the New York Police Department briefly detained and usually physically searched 4.4 million people. 80% were black or Latino. and in 80%? Ni- mm-hmm. 
And in 98.5% of the searches, the subject was not carrying any weapon. It had nothing on that. No. 98% of those. Great. Um, And then convict labor, which is basically a replacement of slavery. The 13th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution abolished slavery except as a punishment for a crime. Yep. That's the thing, folks. This is the the amendment. This is the 13th Amendment. They they abolished slavery, but except as a punishment for a crime. This clause was used to justify convict leasing and other forms of prisoner labor that replicated slavery. And then a crime becomes... (laughs) Loitering. Yeah. Loitering's a crime. Oh, you don't have a home? Exactly. You're staying outside this store. Slave labor. Exactly. So, yeah, to, to, to detain black people, southern states enacted black codes under which only black people were arrested and prosecuted for minor offenses. Only black people, such as loitering, breaking curfew, vagrancy, carrying weapons, and not having proof proof of employment. Proof of employment? <laughs> Who the fuck? I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. As more and more black people were incarcerated, states profited by leasing prisoners to private industries like railways and mining, where black Americans were forced to do dangerous and deadly work for no pay. No pay, and then their families have to live close to these chemical plants and exactly. these mines. And- yep, yep. Today at the Louisiana State Penitentiary, no, uh, known as Angola, prisoners who are mostly black work in fields that were once part of a private slave plantation. I had no idea about this, by the way. This is happening. They're making black prisoners work in fields that were uh, slave plantations. They are supervised by mostly white guards who are known as Freeman. Oh, my God. Yeah. This is going on today. This is going today at a Louisiana State Penitentiary. Yeah, called Angola. Look it up. The use of force by police is one of the leading causes of death for men of color aged 25 to 29. Of all causes of death, guys. Yep. Cancer. Yep. Anything. Yep. Yeah. 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 But yeah, storm the Capitol because your, yeah, yeah, your, yeah. your fat fucking Hitler didn't win the election. Yeah. Storm the well, Capitol. And you know you won't get shot if you do that. Exactly. Sure. Yeah. Your life it's is a hard. frat party. It's life literally is- a frat party. Jesus. of killings by police from 2013 to 2019 have not resulted in officers being charged with a crime. 99%. No charge. No charge. The prison population is, shocker, drumroll, disproportionately black. 33% of U.S. prisoners are black compared to 12% of the general population. 33 White uh, white people are 30% of prisoners and 63% of the general population as uh, to compare. Bail bonds are set twice as high for black defendants than for white defendants. Mm. Wow. Mm. Interesting. While many employers are reluctant to hire job applicants with a criminal record, Multiple studies have found that they're even less likely to hire black people with criminal criminal records. So this is interesting. This is a study. A study in New York City found that only 10% of black job applicants with a criminal record received a callback for a job offer, compared with 22% of white applicants with a criminal record and 25% of black applicants without a criminal record at all, all of whom had identical resumes. So basically, yeah, so the only so only 10% 
of black job applicants with a criminal record. These are so. So we have uh, black job applicants, white uh, job applicants, and they both they all have uh, criminal records. Um, and then black applicants with no criminal records. Um, they all have identical resumes, but only 10% of the black job applicants with the criminal records received callbacks compared to 22% of white applicants with a criminal record and 25% of, it's just like, wow. think about it that way. Like the 22% of white applicants with a criminal record and 25%, like it's only a 3% difference. Between black, black Americans with no criminal record and white Americans with the criminal exactly, record. Exactly. Exactly. Basically the same. <laughs> It's basically the same. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. <sighs> okay. So again, I need to shout out um, the amazing article, The Impact of, of Structural Racism on Black Americans. Um, find it on catalyst.org. Uh, we're going to link that again in our show notes because There's... they did tremendous work. It was in September 30th, 2020. So yes. So right before the election. Oh, okay. So it's still recent though. A number of, I'm actually, I was going to go grab it right now, but I think it makes more sense to put it in our Instagram this week. Um, There's a number of books I want to recommend, but it's easier if you can like see the covers and then you guys can go, you know, look them up somewhere. And, but uh, I have some really, there's one on the history of incarceration in Los Angeles alone, because it's the largest prison system in the United States. Uh, The largest uh, history of corruption in the police department in the United States this is Los Angeles as well. Um, but it literally, it goes all the way back to the 1800s um, when the Spanish colonies were being formed here and goes all the way through modern day, um, just the history of incarceration. And it is fascinating. Oh, and I'm not done with it yet. And 13th, the documentary. 13th, um, the documentary. Um, there's a there's a book uh mothers of resistance is what's called and it talks about the role of white women in the civil rights era the role that they played in upholding racism and because they were the ones at home raising the children in Mm -hmm. the 50s because men were at work women couldn't work yeah women were oppressed but white women literally raised these kids to be racist and why they were just out loud and proud out there against uh, desegregation of the schools. And it's a whole book talking about the role of white women in particular. Um, there's a lot of reading material. And I just I'm going to I'm going to put it all on our Instagram this week. Awesome. Yeah. <sighs> well, I hope you guys enjoyed this little history lesson and current. Um, current policies lesson because yeah and just like reflect on the Mm. fact that this is current yeah we started in the 1500s with the transatlantic slave trade but you all see the inequities that exist right now are atrocious and you see how deep it runs redlining is still prevalent it currently is yep yep yeah um fuck so we wanted to shout on organization why not black lives fucking matter have you heard of it? Um, yeah. So Black Lives Matter was founded in 2013 in response to the acquittal of Trayvon's Martin, Trayvon Martin's murderer. Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation Incorporated is a global organization in the U.S., U.K., and Canada whose mission is to eradicate white supremacy and build local power to intervene in violence inflicted on black communities by the state and vigilantes. Join and donate to the movement to fight for freedom, liberation, and justice by visiting blacklivesmatter.org. 
Um, yes. Thank you so much. Follow us on IG and Twitter at the SOS pod. Yes. Subscribe at rate and review on YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, Google, and more. Um, Reviews really help this episode in particular, because it's such an information download for us, as well as you listeners, like share it, just spread it around. It's black history month. Please do this instead of putting a post of MLK or a black square on your page. Like, link to our episode so family friends these are things like we're all learning we have to continue to learn we have to listen to these stories that make us cringe because that's how we evolve so exactly, exactly. challenge yourself because yeah fucking, it's 2021 i'm we're tired everyone's tired let's yeah. let's learn um <laughs> yeah but i'm Alyssa rosano <laughs> i'm molly cottrell and, and he's turning oh, yes <laughs> <laughs> so good at this <laughs> here i'll do the first part ready okay here's to turning meltdowns into magic <laughs>